Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. We're starting a new series of sermons this week that we've called Audacious Prayers. I mean, I am weary of personally praying what I would just call Sunday school prayers and frankly listening to Sunday school prayers, right? Like, you know, I want us and I pray that we can be a church that really takes hold of heaven as we pray. And so we want to spend the next few weeks talking about, man, how do we pray and, and what is it that God desires for us to ask him for? Some of us, we're just we, we don't really know. Others of us were intimidated by the thought of praying and talking to God. We somehow equate praying and talking to God like, like speaking in public. And some of us are like, well, I don't like speaking in public. Well, you're just talking to God, man. You know, like, like you can do this just as we have conversations and you can talk with your God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that's at work within him. And so, like, like, think about this, like, Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus, like, he's praying, like, to him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Your, your translation may say, ask or imagine, according to the, the power at work within us. And so, Paul's going, like, like, there is power in you that can do more than you can ask or think, ask or imagine. And he's saying, let's seek the Lord for those things. And I can imagine a lot of things. I think I've told you before, I always imagine being 6'4", 225, saying, saying coming off the right end. Like, that would be awesome. Like, I can imagine a lot of things. And if we see here and say the pastor's going like, like, he wants to give us more than we can ask or imagine. If our good God wants to give that to us, why are we praying elementary prayers? Why are we not asking him for all of this and more. Well, it's because the, the devil wants to fight us here. Like the greatest spiritual battle you will face, I believe, is that, that spiritual battle as a Christian of communing with God, being with God, speaking to God, with God in prayer. I don't know about your prayer life, but in my prayer life, when I start to pray, I think of everything I've yet to do, and then I start worrying about things that I didn't even know I needed to worry about before I started praying. And so I even developed like this idea of like, I got this distraction pad. It literally is written on the top, distraction pad. And it's full of distractions while I'm praying. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle and the enemy wants to keep you from praying. If you're not a praying Christian, you're not a practicing Christian. Like there's no such thing as following Jesus without communing with him in prayer. And so we got to wrestle with this today, man. Because if we were honest and public about that today, there's a lot of us that, man, we, we don't really pray. So the disciples asked the Lord, like, Lord, teach us to pray. And so for the next few weeks, we're just going to really kind of lean in here to learn to pray because I believe what God wants to give is greater than we can ask or imagine. So stand with me and let's study it together from Hebrews, rather, Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The scripture says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. This passage of scripture, I believe, shows us the gift that is prayer. It's a passage of scripture. In the first couple of verses, we see great theological truth about who Christ is. And so the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews is like, if this is who Jesus is, then draw near to him. Like that's the idea. And that honestly is as simple as I know how to describe the Christian life. Elevate Jesus, draw near to him. Hold high who Christ is, follow his teachings. Like that is what Christianity is all about. And so here in Hebrews chapter four, like he's going like, all right, so, so we need to understand Christ and his work and how what Christ has done gives us the ability to draw near to God. Friends, drawing near to God is the power source for living the Christian life. Like in John 15, Jesus was like, hey, you know, abide in him. I abide in him as I walk in obedience and that comes from drawing near to God. J.C. Ryle, he was a 19th century bishop and he wrote this. He, he, he said, I've read the lives of many Christians who have been on earth since the Bible days. Listen to this. He said, some of them were rich, some were poor. Some were learned, some were unlearned. Some were Episcopals and some were Christians of other denominations. Some were Calvinists and some were Armenians. Some have loved to use liturgy and some choose to use none. But one thing, Ralph said, I see they all have in common is they all have been men of prayer. So there's this sense that he's saying like these men that drew near and God used in incredible ways had one common theme. They were men of prayer. And friends, if we want God to use us, if we want to inspire people to follow Jesus as our mission calls us to do, then we've got to be people who are walking with the Lord, drawing near to him and communing with him in prayer. One author wrote, he said, he said, no matter our position in life or natural abilities, to be used mightily of God, we must first understand a fundamental principle of spiritual power. He said, what we do for the Lord is entirely dependent upon what we are in the Lord. Further, he said, what we are in the Lord wholly depends on what we receive from the Lord. And what we receive from the Lord is directly proportional to the time we spend alone with the Lord in prayer. It all goes back here. Many of us think, man, I want to do great things for the Lord. I praise God for that dream that he's put in your heart. But the dream in your heart will be realized on your knees in prayer. I want, to, I want to do great things for God. I want to be used of God. I want to win the world. Praise the Lord for those desires. But those are just dreams until you hit your knees. But when you get low before the Lord and you're communing with God in prayer, all of a sudden you find the spiritual power that God can work through you to accomplish all that he's put in your heart to do. So what does this look like? Like how do we do this? First, we gotta realize that Jesus has given us access to God. You see, becoming a person of prayer starts with Jesus. Jesus has given us access to God. And until we land on this truth, we will never posture ourselves appropriately in prayer. If we think we can go to God based on our own merit, we'll never be able to talk with God in prayer. If we think that God doesn't want to hear from us, 
We will never be able to have that commitment to talk with God in prayer. If you think God hears your prayers and answers your prayers in proportion to your good works, you're never going to become a person of prayer. Jesus has given us access to God. Why, when we pray, do we pray in Jesus' name? Because we're leaning upon his access to have our petitions heard in the presence of God. It's, it's interesting, man. As pastor of your church, I, uh, I get invited to a lot of like community things to pray. Sometimes I feel like I'm like the official prayer. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we're going to open a bakery. Can you come pray? Well, if I get a donut. You know, like if, you know, hey, can you come pray at this thing? Can you? I mean, like, I'm serious. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've said a prayer and somebody's cut a ribbon. You know, it's like, praise the Lord, you know? Which I love that. I love that our community wants to have prayer dedication. But from time to time, I'll be like, they'll, they'll ask me, like, hey, we want you to come pray, but can, can you just pray a prayer that would be respectful for all faiths and not pray in Jesus' name? I'm like, well, it's not really worth me coming. Because prayer isn't heard by God in any other way than in and through Jesus Christ. And they're like, well, it's not being respectful. Well, man, I'm just a Jesus guy, so find you somebody that wants to do it another way. Why? Because like, like Jesus gives us access to God. And so my praying, the foundation of my praying, come on, listen to me now. The foundation of my praying is that I'm in his presence based on the merit of Christ's work. If it weren't for Jesus, I could not be there. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus is the way to God, Jesus is the truth of God, and Jesus is the life of God. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and your shame, he sees Jesus' blood covering your sin and your shame. And it's through Jesus' covering that you're welcomed into his presence. I think I've told you before, I grew up with horses, and um, you know, as a kid, you know, and your dad's like, go get the horse, there's an obstacle and that obstacle typically is that the horse weighs so much more than you, you can't move him. So going to get the horse at first was like, let me get the lead rope, let me get the halter, I'm going to drag him. And I quickly learned, I'm not pulling that horse anywhere he don't want to go. And the idea of me leading the horse, it ain't going to happen. I mean, hopefully he'll go, but I found the way to his heart. You ready? Food. It's just like your husband, you know? And so what I would do is I would take the lead rope and I'd take a bucket of food. And I'd go to the horse and I'd take some food and I'd let him eat just a little bit. Not all of it because I want to take the rest of it and throw it back in the bucket so he would see it go in the bucket. And I'd be like, come on. And here we go. I have to put the lead rope on him. Come on. And I could lead him to wherever I wanted him to go. I could bring him in. We could saddle him and he could do what he was we owned him to do, ride the horse and enjoy the horse. Like there's some of us, I really believe that when it comes to prayer, we're just like that horse and we don't really know if we want to go until we begin to see the food, until we begin to see the fruit, until we begin to experience the presence. And then we know, okay, he has what I want. And so what I'm telling you today is don't wait on this sense of like, well, Jesus has got to prove himself to me. He proved himself to you on the cross and his way of leading you into the presence of God is not a bucket of food, but it is the nail pierced hands and the blood scarred hip. And it is his life that has been made available to you. And if you'll just follow him, he will lead you to the presence of God. He will lead you into all you need. He will lead you into peace for your life. 
And some of us were like, well, man, if, if he would just prove a miracle to me, then I'll follow him. Friends, the fact that he died in your place and got up from the grave is a miracle. The fact that he invites you into his presence is a miracle. He is giving you access to God. He is providing for you what your soul is longing for. And so he says in verse 16, he's like, hey, he is the great high priest. Verse 14 is like, like he, he is the one who provides all that we need, who has passed through and let us hold fast to our confession of faith. You see, as we understand that Jesus has given us access to God as the great high priest, we recognize that he is the one worthy of our lives. You see, the picture here is the Hebrew writer was using an example that his hearers would understand. They had a high priest, but Jesus would call the great high priest. The, the high priest would go in and he would sprinkle blood on the one day of year, the day of atonement. He'd go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood of, of perfect lambs in the mercy seat for the temporary remission of sins of the people. It was a pressure-packed day. They actually tied a rope to his ankle in case the priest had sin in his life and he struck dead in the presence of God that they could drag him out. I mean, I've preached a lot of Sundays, but I've never had a rope on my ankle. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what a moment. And so, like, like he would go into this pressure-packed moment, and he would, he would intercede. That's what the high priest did. He interceded. And so here at Jesus, the great high priest, like, he is the one interceding. He is the one making the way. He is the one giving us access. And he is the one who has finished his work. Look at verse 14. Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We get his office being Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then we get his work, that he is the Son of God. He he passed through the heavens. He has finished his work, and now he is seated as a son because of the work of being the Messiah. And so there's this sense of there's never going to be another one like Jesus because Jesus has finished the work, and so we, today, we hold fast to our confession. The, the idea of confession, you know, is, is such an interesting word. Like, like the Hebrew writer is expecting the people to confess what Christ has done, to let it be known to others. In our day, we, we think about our faith being a private faith, but there's no sense in the New Testament of Christianity being a private faith. It's this sense of like, I will confess with my mouth that he is Lord. And, and so there's this picture here that we see, like because of what Christ has done, hold fast to our confession, meaning like stand firm in his work because he's given you access to God. It's the sense of everyone around you should know where you stand. There should be no question of who you are and whose you are because Jesus has given you access to God. And so many of us, we, for some reason or another, we want to get to this place where we just hide our faith in Christ, but, but that's not from the Bible. It's this good confession of the hope that we have. Often when we think about confession, we think about confession of sin, like Jesus does call us to confess our sin in order to receive forgiveness. But this statement in verse 14 is speaking of confessing our faith in Christ before others. He's saying, don't let anybody take you. Don't let anybody cause you to shrink back. Don't let anybody intimidate you into confessing Christ as your Lord. Why? Verse 15, because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. One who is in every respect tempted as we are, but he was without sin. Why do I hold fast to my confession? 
because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. Like there's so much that we could kind of work our way into in this passage, but what we're seeing here is like, he was like us in that he was tempted. He was like us, that he had weakness. Like when Jesus as a little boy fell down and skinned his knee, it bled. Right, like he, he was a, a person who lived on this earth in human form. He was like us, but yet he was not like us because yet he sinned not. Like verse 15 is showing us that the reason we claim Christ as Messiah because he was the perfect Messiah sent from heaven, fully God, fully man who died in our place. The willing and sufficient sacrifice. Like this is the gospel. Like this is the good news about Jesus. That because he identified with us and yet sinned not, we are able to have access to God as we're covered by his sacrifice. Like this is the, the core of Christianity that you've got to recognize today. Before you can do anything else, you've got to wrestle with where you are with God in Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us access to God. This perfect sacrifice. As we lift him high, our natural inclination then, verse 16, is to draw near to him. Have you ever noticed that anybody you hold in high esteem, you want to start being like them? I mean, just watch your kids grow up. Like, they start dressing like the people that they want to be around. And it's kind of funny. But then think about us as adults. Why do you drive the car you drive? Probably saw somebody that you liked driving something like that, and you went, you know, I want one of those. I mean, there's so many examples. Like, why do you have the house you have? Probably you saw somebody else's house, and you went, man, I wish we could have a house like that. We do the same thing. Like, it's that natural inclination to, as we elevate and put people on platforms, we start becoming more like them. So if Jesus has given us access to God, it's now time for us then to draw near to him, become like him, and we do that through prayer. So since Jesus has given us access to God, second, notice with me in verse 16, like we, we've got to then become people who pray confidently. Jesus is one who invites us to be like him. Jesus is one who asks us to follow him. So if we're going to draw near to him, the way we draw near to God is praying confidently. Not like simple prayers, but confident prayers that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so if God's been doing work in you, he wants to continue that work in you. And you're asking him to continue that work in you. Like God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God who has been faithful in the past and will be faithful in the future. Like our prayers are confident, not because of our ability, but because of his faithfulness. And so this verse 16 is like, like because of who Christ is, now let's go. Like confidence draw near. But what are we drawing near to? The throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So see this picture. Christ is seated on the throne of grace, and what he offers is mercy and grace. Mercy means that God does not give us what we deserve. Grace is that God gives us what we do not deserve. Like, there's a difference here. Like mercy, he's not giving us what we've earned. Grace, he's giving us what we have not earned. 
Like he, he's withholding wrath because we're covered by Jesus. He's giving us life, grace, because of Jesus. Like it's his mercy that he withholds his wrath and it's his grace that we can have life through Christ. And so if we begin to recognize what Christ gives from his throne of grace is mercy and grace, then we can begin to understand how he answers our prayers. I think some of us, we don't pray confidently because we don't see God answering our prayer. He answers our prayers with mercy and grace. So he answers our prayers many times in ways we don't even understand as he is orchestrating our steps to keep things from happening that should not happen and to allow things to happen that could never be any other way than God working in us. Like that's the way he answers our prayers. So like think about it, like, like God, I need a job. God, I need a job. God, I need a job. And if you're so focused just on the situation and you're not drawing near to Christ, you're not elevating Christ to draw near to him, you're just focused on, God, I need a job. But yet we have a God who has promised to meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so if I elevate Christ, it's not, God, I need a job, God, I need a job, God, I need a job. It's that, God, you have promised in your word to provide for me. And God, I am begging you to open my heart and open my eyes to what you are providing to me to provide for my family because you've promised to provide. Now, God, show me the way. And see, it's different than just saying, God, you got to help me in saying, God, I am drawing near to you and I'm begging you to be who you've always said you would be. Like there's a different way of praying confidently. It's praying knowing that you're his instead of praying not to be exposed as a hypocrite. You see, I, I pray confidently knowing that God will continue to do what he said he would do. It may not look like I think it's going to look. But it's not my job to control the way it looks. It's my job to elevate Christ and draw near to him. You see, prayer is like a tuning fork. It's not getting God on my tune, it's getting my heart on God's tune. And I can pray with confidence because I know that God has my best interest at heart. He died in my place through Christ. He calls me to himself. He adopted me into his family so that I could experience the life he created for me to experience. Like understand, like God created you for fellowship. God created you to know him. Sin separated you from knowing God. That's why Jesus had to come. And when Jesus died in your place as the sinless Messiah, the substitute for your sin, when he bore the wrath of God toward your sin, what he did was open the access so that you could go back to have that relationship with God. And so when you stand in God's presence, covered by Jesus, you stand confidently because his blood is sufficient for you. You see, prayerlessness at the end of the day, a prayerless Christian is really practical atheism because what he's saying with his life is that the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary is not enough for my situation. Like it's anti-faith to not understand that if I lift him high and draw near to him, I can stand with confidence before him. So we see like the Hebrew writer's going like, like draw near because he's going to answer your prayer with mercy and grace. That is what the throne of grace provides for the believer. You say, well, pastor, like, like what, what about if, if God just didn't answer my prayer and I'm so mad at God? God can handle your anger. God can handle your questions. One of the most difficult things to walk through as pastor is walking with 
kids, particularly older children and teenage kids, as their parents break up. They'll say, Pastor, I prayed every night for my mom and dad not to get a divorce. Does God not love me? Why didn't God answer my prayer? And so understand now, like when we talk about praying confidently, many times we're praying that God would do something in the lives of others. And so, so hear me now, maybe you're a young adult and like you've run from the Lord because you feel like God didn't answer your prayer in this situation, in that situation. Or maybe, man, you're, you're a, a student and you're like, man, my parents are breaking up right now. Like, how do I process this? Look, look, God has promised to offer you mercy and you grace. But your mom and your dad are going to have to seek the same mercy and grace for their lives as well. Like what you're praying when you're praying for your parents, what you're praying when you're praying for others, is you're praying that God would wake them up to their need for him. And the mercy that you're experiencing from the Lord in those moments is that you're experiencing the peace and the freedom that comes from you walking in the Lord, not being enslaved to their sin. The grace that you received is the lessons that you're learning so that you can do things differently than watching others go into sin. I mean, I was talking with a friend the other day. He's like, like, Pastor, I've been praying that my family member wouldn't go to jail. I'm like, oh, hold on. Let's think about our prayers. Let's lift Jesus high and draw near to him. And let's pray that although sin has consequence and our family member might be walking into some significant consequences, that God would somehow use all of this for his good. Like we got to think about the way we pray if we want to pray audacious prayers. It's not just the rescuing from bad things, but it's the working in us for our good. Remember, God's goal for you is not that you would have a life on easy street. God's goal for you is that you would be found complete in Christ. And there are times that he allows difficulties and trials in your life not to push you from him, but to teach you to draw to him as you lift up Christ in your life because this is where you find confidence to stand. Why are so many people falling away from the faith? I believe it's because they have no confidence in Christ because they've not lifted Christ up and drawn near to him in times of need. Listen to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 13. The scripture says this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Like he's promising us to respond. He answers all of our prayer, but his answer is this fulfillment of the first part of the verse that he wants to answer so that the Father might be glorified. My confident praying occurs best when I really understand the glory of God and his desire to glorify himself. Like when I'm praying, like I need to be thinking, is this making much of God or making much of me? Is this making much of God and his purposes or is this helping me escape what I might deserve and have earned? And so if we see that God wants us to ask, we need to understand that, that there is no magic formula. Like some of us say, well, I've just got to do it the right way and then God's going to answer me. No, no, no. Like prayer is is the way you have 24-7 access to God, and it is the life breath of the Christian. Like you kind of breathe prayer. And so there's not some magic formula that you're going to try to understand, but it's a heart condition that says, I lift up Christ and I draw near to him. And so if I'm drawing near, I talk to him. You talk to him. But the closest pattern we have is we want to learn how to pray 
It's found in a couple places. Like the pattern for prayer is found in Matthew 6. But the kind of outposts of prayer is found, I believe, in Philippians chapter 4. Like in Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving in your heart. So what are these kind of, these posts that I need to drop in as the outpost of my praying? That I, I shouldn't be anxious, I should be thankful, and I should pray about everything. All right, so if I'm not supposed to be anxious, if I'm supposed to be thankful and praying about everything, if this is the, the kind of outpost of my praying, how do I express that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, listen to this. The scripture says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, that's, that's not a prayer that we're supposed to give it to memory to recite right before we go out to a football game. That's not a prayer that we're just supposed to kind of have in our head and just kind of, all right, all right, here we go. I'm praying now, our Father. Like, no, no, this is a pattern of prayer, not a prayer of repetition to be memorized and saying, well, this is my praying. If this is your praying, you're missing the heart of why you are praying. Like this makes it a religious experience and ritual. But God wanted to use these words to point us to what real praying looks like. Let's just break it down for a few moments. Like he says, our father in heaven, like this is teaching us who to address our prayers to. We're praying to God through Jesus Christ. And look, let me just take a couple moments. I think I've said this to you before. Like there, there are some who in an effort to teach how we can just talk to God in prayer, they kind of lessen the reverence for speaking to God. I want to encourage you not to. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Some of us, I was like, well, you need to just talk to God. Like, just, you know, hey, Daddy. Like, uh, man, you were talking about, like, the creator of the universe, God. Can we speak to our God with a little more respect than, hey, Dad? Cool, thanks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to encourage you to, like, lift up your, res your, your respect to God in that. Not from some way of, like, well, I've got to use formal language around God. No, no. It just shows that you reverence and respect him and him alone. Like, like hey, our Father in heaven. Like, hey, God, I, I, I'm lifting, I'm coming to you. I'm addressing this to you. Now, I'm going to do it through Jesus, but I'm addressing it to the Father. Hey, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, it's worship, right? So, like, I'm coming to God in adoration and praise of him. Like, God, you are great. Like, there is no one like you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm saying, God, I, I, I'm praying that your will would be done. God, I'm desiring kingdom things. Before we get to personal petition, we pray for kingdom advancement. This is the prayer. This is the pattern for prayer. Like, think about it this way. Like, before we get into my needs, we get into all of our needs. And so it's like, your kingdom come. God, I'm praying that the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. Now, we know one day that will happen at the return of Christ. And so we're praying for God to reign and rule. And then he says, give us our daily, daily bread. Forgive us our debt. It's like, now we're getting into the specific petitions. God, provide for me and my family. Specific petitions. Like, God, help me walk in freedom. Forgive me of my sin as I forgive others. You, you see this picture? So it goes from this, this moment, this pattern goes to this moment of high reverence and respect expressed in worship to praying for kingdom advancement to specific individual needs. This is the pattern for prayer. And so as I pray, like, like don't 
Don't be overwhelmed in the words or the act of praying. Be consumed by the person you're praying to. Too many times we, when we pray, we're like, well, I hope I do it right. No, no, like, man, you be consumed with who you're praying to. Because prayer is a gift that God has given to us that Jesus provided access to God with. So lift him high and draw near to him and speak to him with great reverence and respect because he desires to hear from you. Like God wants to hear from his children and God wants his children to experience his life. And God desires, God desires that you would commune with him just like in Genesis chapter 1. J.C. Rowell, who I quoted earlier, he, he wrote this. He, he said, prayer has obtained things that seemed impossible and out of reach. It has won victories over fire, air, earth, and water. Prayer opened the Red Sea. Prayer brought water from the rock and bread from heaven. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer overthrew armies. Prayer healed the sick. Prayer raised the dead. And prayer has procured the conversion of countless souls. Look, man, there's nothing your heart desires that is outside the realm of prayer. Pray for people to be saved. Pray for God to heal. Pray for God to restore. Like, stop praying Sunday school prayers and take hold the kingdom of heaven as you lift Christ high and draw near to him. What are the deepest dreams of your soul? Have you talked to God about them? Are you allowing him to shape your heart? Like, do, do your kids and grandkids know what you're praying about? Like, are, are you so focused on stewarding the presence of God in your life? But you take serious the opportunity you have to enter the presence of God and to seek Him. I mean, if He wants to give more than we can ask or imagine, what are we waiting on? Lift Him high, draw near to Him. Prayer is the real work. Father, help us today to be people of prayer. Lord, so often we think of prayer as our last resort. Help us see today that it is an initial engagement in the army, initial engagement in the spiritual battle, initial engagement to move the King of kings and the Lord of lords on our behalf. Friends, I don't, I don't understand it all when it comes to prayer. But what I know is there are just things that seem to only move the hand and the heart of God when we pray. More, more people get healed in churches that pray for people to get healed than in churches that don't. More people get saved in people that pray, or in churches that pray for people to get saved than churches that don't. More marriages are restored in churches and places that pray for marriages to be restored than in churches that don't. Like I, I don't understand it all. But I know this, 
When you begin to pray audacious prayers, God begins to move. So what is it that you've been hesitant to ask the Lord for that you need to talk to him about today? Some of us, we've got a prodigal child and we've honestly stopped praying for them because we're so exhausted, embarrassed, and frustrated about what they're going through. May God use his word today to call you back to your knees in prayer for your children. There's husbands and wives in this room that the truth be told, they've abandoned their marriage long ago and they're just living together because they don't want to get a divorce. They've stopped praying for their spouse. May God use his word today to rekindle a love of God in you that you begin to pray for your spouse. There, there's some of us who, man, we're single and and we feel like God's forgotten us because of our singleness. Man, God hadn't forgotten you in your singleness, but you've stopped praying that God would bring to you his spouse for you. Maybe today God uses his word to rekindle a flame and fire in your heart for God, and you begin to pray for your future spouse. Maybe there's some moms and dads in here, and you watch the babies be dedicated a little bit ago, and it's so overwhelming because you're like, like, man, I've been praying for years that God would give us a child, and God has not to this point given you children. And maybe you've grown frustrated and tired, and you've stopped praying. Maybe God would use his word today for you to begin praying again that he'd give you the miracle of a child. Maybe you're a business owner in this place and you've just stopped praying for God's presence at your business and you wonder why you're having so many new issues. Maybe you're retired and you've grown just disgruntled in your faith or bored in Christ. Maybe God will use his word today to remind you that it starts in prayer. There's no way I can name your situation. But what I know is the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you of the areas that you need to repent of and begin to pray. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.